Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to a very special episode of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Connolly. Uh, I just woke up from a nap to some really interesting news. Dan, uh, you want to catch me up on what the hell just happened? So, according to reports from pretty much every corner of the internet at this point, UConn is leaving the American Athletic Conference and is set to join the new Big East Conference starting in 2020. (laughs) Did you really ever think you would say those words uh, and mean them as seriously happening? I, I realistically don't think I could. I think I had resigned myself to just accepting that the that UConn was going to be stuck in the American until I was old and gray, and Ew. It, I just the this isn't out of left field. I'll say that because there definitely were rumors about this happening. They dated back a long time. Like I remember, like it was two or three years ago, John Rothstein had some comment like UConn's looking to get back into the big East. Yeah. Um, then there were definitely rumors about it. I, in like earlier in the year, I, like March ish, I heard kind of around that UConn might be looking, but like conference realignment is a 24 seven cycle and half of what you hear in conference realign if everything that came true in conference realignment uconn would be in the acc big 10 big 12 and sec right now right so you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt but this is i it's not definite yet but from all reports it would be like shocking if uconn doesn't get in so a few things still need to happen for this to go through according to matt norlander All the Big East presidents still have to ratify UConn coming in, which is scheduled to happen early this week. And UConn's board of trustees was already expected to meet on Wednesday and they need to approve the move. But he said, according to a source, these reports seem like they might've leaked before UConn was ready, which could push up the whole timeline. And then Thursday at Madison square garden, the official news is expected to come where UConn is going to announce that they're going to the Big East. Um, Yeah, I mean, the timeline of events here in terms of like when UConn is considering a move, whether it's actually going to happen, like you said, it's it's many years old. And in, you know, in our hearts and minds, it's at least as old as the American Athletic Conference, where people were talking about this, you know, this idea of why don't we why don't we join this this new Big East that's that's coming up? Um, I think when the Big 12 thing happened in 2017, uh, and then they ended up not expanding, uh, or 2016, 2017. But you know, if, if when they ended up not expanding, I think, uh, you know, that was another moment where UConn kind of was against it, where you realize how fragile the American Athletic Conference is, how um, anyone in that conference will leave <laughs> if given the opportunity. Um, and then I think you know s- some stuff started to happen with 
you know, that I think had to have accelerated the timeline is um, this new TV deal, uh, what it did with ESPN Plus versus, uh, and just what it did with women's basketball, uh, you know, and and uh, the accessibility of those games, which matter a lot, which generate a lot of revenue, which generate a lot of excitement among the UConn fan base. Um, and and then I think the other thing is, what is the possibility of a short or medium term invite to the Power Five? Um, right, that has always been the key thing that that um, you know may you know had the AAC making some sense at least, where it was like, well, we got to get slightly better at football so that we're a palatable Power Five team, but. Uh, that kind of went away <laughs> because of what what the football team did, and uh, you know that that started to seem impossible. But also, it started to seem like maybe the P five wasn't growing. Maybe that TV, uh, that never ending and and constantly growing TV revenue, is not going to keep growing if you just add uh, geographically based television markets. So. Um, I think a lot of factors played into this ultimately, but um, you know, I, I I really didn't think this was going to happen. Um, but I did think within the next couple of years, it made sense to look at it very, very seriously. So I'm surprised at the timing, um, but I, you know, as as a as UConn fans, you have to be nothing but excited. This is uh, this means great things for for a lot of different programs that. I would say the majority of Husky fans care about the most. Yeah. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the AAC TV deal was, if it wasn't the catalyst for UConn to do this, it was definitely the main factor because as far as I know, this timeline started around March, which is the exact same time the TV deal came out. And I thought the TV deal was palatable for UConn. If they could work out something with SNY where SNY would carry the games locally that were going to be on ESPN plus, but there were reports that SNY and ESPN were going to be having conversations and we didn't hear anything about those, which probably wasn't a good thing. So I, I think it's a huge factor because UConn knows its fan base and with all due respect, I don't mean this in a bad way, but the basketball fans, especially on the women's side are older demographic. That's just a fact. And they're definitely not going to be as open to an online subscription service as TV, where you can just turn on the TV and find the channel. It's, it's different. And where for people like maybe you and me, where like you have YouTube TV, I use ESPN plus all the time. Like that's not an issue for us, but we're not the ones that are the concerns for UConn. And I think as much as UConn's looking out for its basketball programs, I also think it's really looking out for the fans here because I think ESPN Plus was really basketball games going behind ESPN Plus was a non-starter for UConn. It seems. Yeah, I mean, so I I, I didn't think ESPN Plus was that that bad, but um, there needed to be more money behind it, right? So if you're going to make that sacrifice, better get paid for it. And that was the thing where it's like. Um, this is less money than UConn was making before. Uh, this is uh, cutting off our legs on a uh, on a pretty lucrative third tier rights contract we had with SNY for the women's basketball team. So, I think you know even more than the ESPN Plus you know 
factor, which which is definitely there, but I think it's the money. You know, it's it's you can't you can't not make as much money as possible on this dominant women's basketball program. And uh, you know, we'll dive into the I think the the programs a little bit more closely. But with men's basketball, you can't afford to let it kind of linger in this league where nobody cares about about seventy five percent of the conference games. Yeah. Um, and for the women, they were just destroying every conference game. So that was not really that interesting either. No, it, the women ha- didn't have competition. USF was the closest they had, and they would still beat USF by like 40 points routinely. Like the only time other teams came close to beating UConn was when UConn just decided not to show up to a game. It had nothing to do with the other opponents. And if you ask, any segment of UConn fans, would you rather have ECU and Tulsa in the conference, or would you rather have DePaul and Marquette? If anyone answers ECU and Tulsa, they need to get their heads checked because DePaul and Marquette are not marquee opponents in a vacuum, but we at least have some history with them and they've shown signs that they can be good and they have the biggies. They're just names we know. And that makes a huge difference to UConn fans. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think something that will be massive is um, being able to being able to go to some road games too. you know, have have that fun again. So now we're all, you know, human beings here and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I can drive to Providence. I can I can make it to Philly. Uh, You know, I can get to New York for St. John's if they decide to ever be decent. Uh, you know, Seton Hall. Uh, so there's all of these uh, um, just way closer teams to play. And um, I guess we should just dive into it. We'll just dive into it with men's basketball. But I think especially for men's basketball, the impact on recruiting is going to be huge. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, you talk to a recruit and you say, man, come to UConn all this history, really good coach and Dan Hurley, you know, legacy of amazing guards, the team that owns New York. Oh, but um, yeah, we're going to actually be making road trips to Tulsa, East Carolina, Wichita state. So enjoy that Uh, versus you're going to have a road slate of Seton hall, Providence, Villanova. Right. So I think, I think we're going to see an uptick for you, especially for the Yukon men, um, in recruiting from from New York City, Boston, uh, and New and New Jersey, uh, and that's going to make a huge huge impact on the men's basketball team. And and you know, look, we were getting dramatic about this as recently as last men's basketball season. It's like, look, the if if men's basketball continues in this league, it might not be a coaching. You know, there's a coach who can get UConn to a winner in this league, but there's no reason to, to, to hamstring yourself uh, on the recruiting side when you're in a place that doesn't really fit for you all for the pursuit of the football dollar. So um, I think it's a good move to, by UConn just pr- preserving uh, what it has in basketball and then giving it the best chance to continue to rise. Here's a stat for you. The second closest team to UConn in the American was East Carolina, which is a cool 500 miles away half the big East is closer to Yukon than the second closest team in the American. So like you said, with travel, it's, it, and those are all teams concentrated in that Northeast corridor of 
the country. So yeah, like you said, recruiting is going to be huge because what college basketball recruit that grew up watching college basketball doesn't want to play at Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament? You know how many game winners I had in my driveway in the Big East tournament? Like that is the peak of a college basketball <laughs> conference tournament. It doesn't get better than that. And UConn yeah. is the school that owns that tournament. So that's going to be a huge draw for recruits too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. MSG, the Garden, conference tournament time. That's going to be uh, that's going to be beautiful. Uh, you know, honestly. And um, you know, for the women's basketball team, I mean, gosh, the they were completely curb stomping every single AAC team, and. You know, even USF at their recent peak, whatever that was, I think maybe two or three years ago, didn't even come really very close to challenging UConn. Were there, I think there were two games within single digits, the entirety of the, uh, the American Athletic Conference uh, run so far. Uh, so I think, you know, especially for the women's basketball team, um, you know, some of the things that held them back over the past couple of years. Um, they don't get challenged enough during the regular season. Uh, this hurts them for two reasons. One, because they they have to kind of manufacture that necessary competitive edge to be, um, you know, really strong in the postseason. And also because they get kind of dinged. Uh, they get dinged for going undefeated because it's like, well, yeah, of course he went undefeated. You know, I think it was this this past year, especially where, you know, UConn was really getting disrespected in the rankings and the seeding. And when you consider everything that that uh, they've done, the only reason is you play this awful, awful conference schedule. So, um, I mean, massive gains here for the men's and women's basketball teams. And if you're a UConn Huskies fan, uh, you know, that has to be 75 percent of what you care most about, at least. Yeah, I don't even think it's unfair to say that the AAC for women's basketball wasn't a mid-major. It was a low major. The, totally. None of those teams were remotely good. I think UCF made the NCAA tournament. They were a program kind of on the rise, but outside of that, just those aren't programs anywhere near a competitive level. And UConn was directly a number two seed, the committee said, because of their strength of schedule. And UConn schedule is one of the hardest non-conference schedules in the country. Mm -hmm. So then do the math. It's because their conference sucks. Like yeah. one of those single digit games was that Tulane game back in 2016 when Kia Nurse got hurt and they were coming off the 100th win in a row against South Carolina. And I think they did. It was also up? NBA all-star weekend. Yeah. They like went to the NBA all-star game or one of the events around that weekend. So clearly they weren't too concerned about the game and it showed, but like I, they could make a starting lineup of their bench and still be beating AAC opponents by 30. It was terrible for everyone involved. And I can't imagine any program's going to benefit more just in terms of the games they're playing than the women's basketball team. Like we were literally having discussions, like, should we just make this program go independent? Because it was right, so right. bad. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think it kind of speaks to how something that an organization can do is, you know, you have this strength, right. In the women's basketball team. 
And then you just ignore anything that can help it and assume it will continue to succeed because you have other pressing matters, tackle football, men's basketball, uh, you know, that that you need to really focus attention on. But yeah, this really was a, a bit of a crisis for the women's basketball team because um, unless you improve that schedule, there's no, um, you know, and uh, or unless you um, build another uh, uh, Stewie Jefferson talk super team, which is easier said than done, but um, you're going to have you're going to have a weird t- you're going to have a hard time proving yourself. Um, especially as the game gets more and more competitive nationally. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's amazing for men's and women's basketball for the, uh, for the non-revenue sports. It's, it's, it's amazing too. It, it decreases their travel. Um, I know that, you know, soccer and baseball were pretty good conferences, uh, quality. The AAC was a pretty good soccer conference. It was a pretty good baseball conference, but um, the Big East is definitely no, you can speak more to this, but the Big East is definitely no slouch in either of those. And again, these are two teams that there's actually quite a, quite a fan base for UConn around that now we'll be able to go to some away games. We can be more of fans around this. So uh, big win for baseball and soccer too. I actually think baseball is like the only loser in all of this, just because the AAC is actually one of the best conferences in the country. It was number five in RPI this past year, and the Big East is like 17. But at the same time, I think baseball is the least affected by the conference it's in to begin with, because the AAC isn't the reason that UConn baseball is one of the best programs in the Northeast. Jim Penders is the reason for that. And I think no matter what conference UConn's in, players aren't coming to UConn to play in a good conference. They're coming to UConn to play for Jim Penders and to be part of the UConn baseball program. And if anything, I think the fact that they're going to play more local games is going to help recruiting because if you've got a kid from Staten Island, you've got now two games that his family can go to really easily in Seton Hall and St. John's aside from being able to drive up to UConn and see those games. So I think, the level of play is going to drop, but I really don't think it'll affect it that much. And for soccer causation doesn't necessarily equal correlation, but in 2013, the first year of the American men's soccer went to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament for the third year in a row. Since then, five years since then, they have made the NCAA tournament twice and haven't gotten past the second round. So it's a timeline. And to follow up on that Ray Reed missed the tournament once since 1998 before 2014. So those timelines are suspiciously aligned right there with men's soccer. So I think they've also got to be a program that's just over the moon being back in the big East and women's soccer actually did pretty well in the American, but having closer travel is just better for everyone because as much as we like to laugh at the NCAA for always being like, oh, students first, then athletes, but like really for 95% of athletes at UConn that aren't on basketball or football, they actually are students that are also playing a sport. Most of them are very, very focused on their academics and the less travel time they have just means the more time they're going to be able to go to class, the more time they're going to be able to study, the more time they're just going to be able to be college students instead of being athletes traveling all around the country. So it really helps the Olympic and non-revenue sports a ton. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, that 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 really was the the extremely shitty part of it, right? Was that how are you going to pretend you care so much about the student athlete when because of pursuit of the football dollar, you are having soccer teams travel from uh, Cincinnati to North Carolina and from Connecticut to Wichita, Kansas. And all. I mean, it's it was uh it was insane. And, and, and again, for UConn, it made the least sense because they have something with the basketball programs that nobody else in their league had. And um, I think in this, you know, in, in this unbundling uh, era we live in, um, by the way, how did nobody make the transfer portal epi- epidemic joke about this, this UConn move? <laughs> um, it's an epidemic. Uh, anyway. I think obviously the one thing we we haven't really touched on, but um, is the big uh, kind of glaring question about this whole move is what do we do with the football program? What happens with the football program? Um, You know, Dan, I think you and I have have really uh, discussed privately through Slack or in person a variety of different options for the football program should a move like this happen. the options seem to be stay, stay in the a, a, AAC. Um, probably not. But yeah, you know, which most stay. reports are that the AAC wouldn't even right. take UConn, which I don't blame them. So to- exactly, totally, totally, totally. So, so that's probably not an option. Um, another lower tier FBS conference. So maybe the MAC. Uh, that's, that could work. Um, I, I don't see the appeal for the Mac really, yeah, to I'm, be honest with you. Like, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit, but like, I don't see the point in doing a, I, I think going independence, just a better move than going to one of those lower tier conferences, because what are you really gaining from going to one of those conferences besides an automatic bull bid? Yeah. I, I really don't think there's any benefit because the team's not great, but I think you've got SNY right here. I think UConn yeah. can get a pretty good deal for every single UConn football game, or at least mm-hmm. 95% of them on SNY. Yeah. So I think that's going to, whatever that deal would end up being, I still think would be a more lucrative deal than whatever the Mac or the Conference USA or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have about two, I think like 75% complete drafts about, uh, y- the, the case for UConn football to go independent and how it can work. Um, you can schedule army, you can get, uh, you can get UMass on the schedule uh, on a very regular basis. You'll probably still be able to get temple and some rotation of Boston college, Syracuse Pitt uh, onto the schedule. Maybe you, uh, you, maybe you add two FCS programs, you know, per year, uh, so we play like a Rhode Island and a New Hampshire and a Stony Brook or whomever. Um, there's an independent schedule that fans can get excited about an FBS independent schedule that fans can get excited about that would draw audience that could let the program grow in an appropriate way, play programs that are, you know, at and around its caliber that tested enough. And, you know, that schedule I just named, you can see them eventually growing to a point where they win eight or so games in that. And that's all we want, right? The bar is so, so low in terms of expectations for this program. Um, being independent is bad 
if you want to compete for a national championship, if you want to get a G5 bowl invite, um, but but if you're just trying to carve out a nice peaceful existence um, because you have made these investments and you think maybe down the road it can become something, the state of UConn football is such that you have to think about alternative arrangements. So um, I'm going to push the independent uh, the independent train uh, and uh, you know we'll see where it goes. Randy Etzel just tweeted, "I don't know anything." He tweeted a, a pretty funny <laughs> gift gift just now. Um, it's like I think it's Rodney Dangerfield, uh, which is on brand for him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, such a whirlwind, really. I mean, it, it was an insane thing to 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 wake up to uh, for me. I'm uh, I just got off a flight to London, uh, took a nap, and literally woke up to this, which is which is pretty insane. But um, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about UConn a little bit, the the leadership at UConn, because if this is really happening, you we have to give them a lot of credit. We have to give David Benedict a lot of credit, um, and then. <laughs> I don't even know, you know, is it, is it, is it the new president? Was it something her Susan Herbst is working on, on her way out? Is it Mike Trangese who we have paid as a consultant? Um, you know, former Big East commissioner, whoever, you know, worked together to make this possible from the Yukon end, you have to give them a lot of credit. This made the fan base really happy. This is amazing for the basketball programs and, um, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you, who else at UConn do you think was involved in this? And what do you think, you know, David Benedict's been up to lately? I haven't really been uh, super, what's the word? I haven't been effusive in my praise for this uh, athletic department at times recently, but I mean, I guess the results don't speak for themselves, right? Like, I can be not thrilled with how they run certain things, but at the end of the day, they just pulled off a move that on paper and really more than anyone can really argue is the best move for UConn going forward into the future. Like I just, I I don't see how staying in the American under any circumstances was, is a better option than going to the big East and figuring it out with football it makes more sense for the fans, the players, the coaches. It really makes sense for everyone. It makes more sense for the American. Now they're not stuck with this school that's clearly unhappy in it, not geographically doesn't make sense geographically and has been like underperforming in the thing that it says it does the best. So it's a win on everyone involved and I think it's just I don't know who to credit because obviously nothing has been announced yet. I don't know if it was UConn that initiated the conversation with the Big East or the other way around, but something like this definitely doesn't happen overnight. And they really do the entire athletic department from the lowest level ticket intern to the athletic director deserve full credit for getting UConn into the best position possible for its future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the athletic department was languishing. That's the you know the right the right way to describe it. And and 
someone did need to take action. So I am uh, very impressed that they were able to. I think, um, you know, to 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 think about to talk about where this leaves the AAC um, because it is worth worth discussing a little bit. Uh, this pr- this almost definitely impacts the new AAC TV deal, um, which is likely to uh see more changes probably see uh more inventory go to espn plus and uh they'll also be looking to add someone to um uh they'll also be looking to add someone to uh even up their numbers so have fun with that guys and um yeah, I saw I saw a tweet somewhere that maybe oh ESPN might be salty about this. Um, <laughs> ESPN you know. can go screw themselves. They're the yeah. reason that that UConn's in this position in the first place. So like, there's ESPN has nothing to say about this because if they really wanted UConn to stay on the ESPN networks, UConn would be in the ACC. You, ESPN could have pulled strings and made that happen if they really, really wanted to. I There's no doubt. They're the most powerful sports network in a college sports right. landscape that is totally and utterly controlled by the sports networks. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the point is like, what's the, there's no need for sympathy for ESPN in this situation. It's all bargaining. Uh, and ESPN did a great job bargaining with the powers that be of the American Athletic Conference um to get a really you know reasonably priced deal for uh all that sweet sweet aac tackle football and basketball inventory but um yeah i mean there's no need to to feel you know espn has forced uconn's hand in this every step of the way like you said the, the whole the whole thing of the past won't even really go there but this this new deal uh had to have been the catalyst that that pushed UConn ahead, and um, you know I think something else that that warrants discussion is that people were like, "Well, would the Big East even take UConn? Uh, it's all these private school, private Catholic schools." And it's like, yeah, of course they would. It's a great basketball school right in the heart of your market, and will goose the hell out of ticket sales for anything you do at Madison Square Garden, um, and now the money's about to be more or less the same. So, um, if not better, cause I don't know the better, yeah. big East TV, uh, deal that well, but I imagine there's still going to be a place for S and Y in it. Right. Whereas there was no place for S and Y anymore. Exactly. In AAC. So, it's, yeah. And I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a scenario where there's maybe more men's basketball on S and Y now. And, um, uh, either way, uh, I think um, you know the the whole the the whole like lack of a fit thing. UConn's not leaving for <laughs> UConn's not leaving for the Big Ten or ACC anytime soon. I don't think. I don't. Uh, you know there would have to be some real crazy things happening for uh, that to go back on the table. And that's really the only, you know, it's like, Oh, so much conflict because UConn has a football program. It's like, well, again, UConn's not trying to build some national football powerhouse. Um, right now the goal is to just get halfway decent and that can happen anywhere. So, 
Yeah, and I uh, think it's a better place, maybe even in the independent world for UConn football, because we've literally been talking, we've had conversations for years about maybe UConn should just go independent because if they go eight and four and beat a bunch of crappy teams and two FCS teams, is anyone really going to say, Oh, well it, it doesn't matter. Cause these teams suck. No. Like if they go one and 11 in the conference, people aren't going to say, Oh, well it's a good conference. So it doesn't really matter. No, people only care about wins and losses. And if they're going to play a weaker schedule, that's only going to help UConn in the, in the long run to, get it back to where they were because playing UCF really isn't going to help us too much. And like, like, look, we can still play like really good opponents. They can just pay us like $2 million to beat us instead of just a regular conference game. We can right. just add more buy games. Yep. So again, it, I think the, the, the biggest thing was if you can see and feel basketball slipping, and then the terms of the contract are no longer great anyway. Um, you got to make the move. So, I mean, again, wow. Um, exciting, exciting times for UConn. Uh, I think this will be a, a real boon quickly for recruiting. Dan Hurley's out on the recruiting trail right now. I mean, you know, there's, there's going to be excitement around this. And, uh, I think I think as soon as this summer we could see commitments come in, and you know you can't directly attribute it to something like this, but um, you got to imagine in this in the scope of conversations that Gino or Dan Hurley can have on the recruiting trail, that all of this and all of the advantages we just discussed won't come up in that conversation and make UConn a more attractive choice for high caliber men's and women's basketball players. So. Um, Heck yes. That's going to do it for this episode of the Yukon Pod. Thank you all for listening, and feel free to look back at some of our older episodes, including an interview with former Husky star Renee Montgomery. Uh, otherwise, we'll catch you next time.